I'm Dr. Fiona Lovely, and this is the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. I'm taking the taboos of menopause and perimenopause and bringing light to the dark. No bullshit, no shame. It's time for us to gain a new paradigm in female health, out with the old and in with the new, and I'm bringing fresh perspectives from someone in the arena. I've been practicing women's health for nearly 20 years, and I'm spilling the tea on what it means to live at midlife, knowing that the best is yet to come. I'm sharing my Gen X approach to living through this transition, sassy, a bit sweary, and always honest. Tactical tips and instantly usable information is my aim. I hope to make you laugh and that you learn something new that helps you embrace the change. Together, we bring power to the Perry. Onward to the podcast. Hello, ladies. Dr. Fiona Lovely on the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. I hope you're doing well. So recently, I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, coach and intuitive eating counselor, Sherry Pratt. Sherry left an accomplished and successful 25-year career as an IT professional and corporate executive to start her own health coaching business. Her passion is helping women in midlife break free from yo-yo dieting and live comfortably in our bodies without feeling like we're giving up on ourselves or our health. When Sherry's not helping women reach their health goals, you can find her parenting her two teenage sons behind the wheel of a tractor helping her husband out on the grain farm, tending her rather large vegetable garden, staying active, playing pickleball and curling within her local community or relaxing with a glass of wine and a good book. Sounds like my kind of gal. She and I had this great conversation, which I'm about to share with you, where we talked about essentially intuitive eating, uh, which you can think of as the anti-diet. And if you can resonate with struggling with what to eat to nourish yourself, if you've ever had a problem with your weight or you're thinking about your body and what size you are, I think you'll find this conversation really interesting. And you know, as I always say, I never really know how these conversations are going to go until I'm actually in them. And this one left me really scratching my head over some of my own behaviors and thoughts about this and sort of not recognizing where a lot of my thinking around food and food behaviors and eating had come from and that most of it is actually really old and outdated. And if you grew up in the 80s, 70s and 80s, like I did, uh, even in the 90s, there was a lot of really big diet conversations and being a certain size and women needing to be a certain weight and all of that. And um, like I said, this conversation really pulled back that curtain for me and I saw it in myself in a way that I haven't before. So I think you'll find this conversation as interesting as I did while I was having it with Sherry. Sherry is so smart about this. And um, I found this conversation in the end. It was so freeing. It was liberating. It gave me permission to not show up in my kitchen with a bunch of rules in my head. Now, 
to make sense of that statement, listen to the conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. So before we talk to Sherry, a quick word from our sponsor. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it every day in the morning to break my fast. It makes me feel like I'm doing something good for my body, that I'm covering my nutritional bases. This simple daily habit allows me to cover those nutritional bases no matter what the day brings. Oh my gosh, because we never know what the day is going to bring. AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients to support whole body health, replacing your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Fiona Lovely. That's drinkag1.com slash Fiona Lovely. You can find the link in the show notes. Check it out. Fantastic. Today on the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast, I have certified coach and intuitive eating counselor, Sherry Pratt. Oh, and fellow Canadian. Can I say that too? Absolutely. (laughs) Welcome Sherry to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to have you here. So tell me a little about about you. I'd love to hear your story. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. So um, I'll try and keep it brief. (laughs) Um, I um, started actually my career. So coaching is a second career for me, sort of a bit of a midlife transition, if you will. I grew up very interested in science. So I sort of pursued that interest. I got a degree in computer science. I actually was in engineering for a couple of years before that. Um, you know, sort of proceeded to join the world of information technology, uh, software designer, software developer, worked my way up sort of through the corporate ladder into sort of executive and leadership positions, really enjoyed that I, you know, got a lot of fulfillment from that type of work. At the same time, though, I always had an interest, a personal interest and personal passion in health and well being and taking care of myself and sort of keeping active, and all those things. But sort of around that mid 40s mark, um, you know, I'd been working for 25-ish years, almost 25 years at that point. And it was kind of like, I was ready for something different. And I stumbled upon this idea of coaching, health coaching. And what I loved in particular about coaching was, I mean, I probably would have enjoyed being a doctor or more of a medical professional, but you know, the notion of heading back to school for that much schooling (laughs) at that age was like, um, maybe not. Um, (laughs) Whereas, you know, coaching was much more accessible in terms of the time commitment to get some education and training. Um, And more importantly, though, what really struck me about coaching was that coaching isn't about telling you what to do. It's not about giving you more information, because chances are we already have a lot of the information that we need. A lot of us know what we need to be doing to improve our health, like a lot of those basic fundamental things are well known. It's how do we do them, right? Like, how do we implement? How do we take what we know we should be doing and actually translate that into something that's sustainable for us in our lives? 
So that's when I learned that coaching was really the helping someone go from knowing to doing. I was like, yes, that's that's what I want. And so I jumped into coaching and took some training. And at first I thought, well, you know, worst case scenario, I'll apply it to myself. And if that's as far as it goes, that's as far as it goes. It's something cool. I love learning. Um, but at, the more I did it, the more I was like, you know, you know what? I want to I want to switch careers. And this is something that I want to pursue. And so that's kind of what got me here. That's fascinating. So you are an intuitive eating counselor as well as a health coach. Can you tell us about that, please? Yeah. And so that was like a whole nother journey within that original journey. Um, So when I started my health coaching training, it was very much in still that sort of health, I'm going to, I'm going to call it sort of diet culture world. And so, you know, as with so much of the medical system and the health and wellness industry in general, um, there was definitely a perspective on health is about how you eat health and very much not just how you eat, but also like how your body is, right? Like that thin equals healthy and very much that in order to be healthy, you should be, you should be watching your weight. You should be paying attention to those things. So not just eating healthy for the sake of eating healthy, or exercising for the sake of the benefits that you get, but very much with that direction towards looking or having a certain body size. And I don't think that's uncommon in the wellness industry within the medical even industry today, which is really unfortunate. So I definitely started down that path. And I like to say when I started health coaching, I I was definitely on, I call it team diet. Like I was definitely, yep, we should be attempting to change our body. Like we should be attempting to diet for health reasons as much as for weight reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And it got me caught up in a lot of disordered eating in my own life. And I saw as I started to coach more and more people, similar patterns of this, you know, preoccupation with weight and, you know, aiming for weight loss more than the actual health benefits. And after, you know, sort of it it culminated when I was doing some coaching for the keto diet, because again, you know, keto seemed like a great idea. um, But I find that the more rules we place on our food, the more restriction we place on ourselves, um, the more disordered behaviors come up. And unfortunately, disordered eating behaviors get seen are very normalized and seen as natural nowadays. And so unfortunate. Yeah, it's just so unfortunate. And what, what you just said, I felt that, that exhale from the women listening to the podcast, like you, what you said about having those rules and that regimented way we do things. I mean, ultimately, isn't that what our generation was taught when we were kids? This is how you keep a lean body. This is how you lurk a certain way. And that's a multi-billion dollar industry. And I'm sure you bump up against the mindset of that industry all the time, as I do in my work. Talk Mm -hmm. about that a little bit, please. Oh, it's so pervasive in our culture, right? Like this, this need to, well, it's, you know, look a certain way. So, you know, there's definitely, you know, beauty standards, body ideals. Um, You know, I like to say that like those, when we were in our twenties, we couldn't even hold up to them. Never mind as we get to our fifties, right? Like Mm -hmm. it ain't going to happen, but (laughs) 
it's it's just it's it's you know so pervasive in terms of expectations right it's like why um you know when we and and it starts so young like it starts you know the way you look for your grad it starts with the diets you you should go on when you want to get married right Mm -hmm. it starts with you know wanting to lose the baby fat after you've had kids like it just it's and marketing gets you know more and more savvy right um you know wanting to look good naked and then there's all the stuff that gets targeted at women of our age right like Mm -hmm. aging and you know belly flap now and you know bat wing I'm like oh my like how do they even come up with these terms just to make us you know constantly be focused on this it's it's it's, yeah it's heart-wrenching and so stepping out of that giving women the ability and you know the great thing about being in your 50s or close to your 50s is that you're ready to finally be like um I don't have to listen I don't have to pay attention to all that stuff anymore right like I've lived enough years I'm, I'm starting to get really comfortable with who I am and feeling more and more confident to be able to say, mm, that's not for me anymore, or I'm, I'm ready to do something else. Absolutely. And that I like to say that reckoning of midlife lets us uh, unhook ourselves from what we think we have to be for other people or to fit into community or society or whatever. Yeah. So something you I just thinking thinking of as you're talking is I recently watched the supermodels on Apple TV. Did you happen to see that? No, no, it's excellent, is by it? the way. Yes, it is. It's very good. And of course, the supermodels are uh, uh, Christy, Naomi, uh, Linda, and Cindy. So okay. Cindy Crawford. And, yeah, yeah, all the ones yeah. from our generation. Exactly, right? exactly. And what I was struck by watching, because of course, I was fascinated by all of them when I was, you know, you know, in my 20s, it was the 90s. I mean, it was a big deal, right? Is I'm watching all of these women who are close to six feet tall, and lean as as a branch and that is their body type so much as I remember thinking I want to look like that and as I look at them now and of course did all the the mental crap to think that I actually could right well first of all I'm five foot five so that's never gonna (laughs) Um, but that's just not the way my body is built right and so I look at them now with my 50 year old brain and I go oh wow they look so lean almost too lean now is that a judgment that I'm forming I don't know but that is their natural body type yes and it's quite fascinating for me to look at that and go, wow, I, that was an ideal I held, but un, unattainable, not mm-hmm. achievable for most of us. Mm-hmm. And it's so nice to have, like, to be able to to now recognize that that was unattainable. Because I think for so many of us, for a really long time, it, it takes a while to get there, right? Like, we, we hold this belief that we, you know, maybe if we can't be exactly like them, we can come pretty darn close, but yes. the truth is, like you said, we we can't like so, again, the diet industry, the wellness industry will, will lead us to believe that our weight is and our body shape and size is so much within our control. When in reality, yeah. I think it's far more like height and eye color in that our genetics determines like we have these set points, right? Yes, yes, and absolutely. You fluctuate slightly within them. But if you were, you know, meant to be a certain height, a certain size, have a certain shape of your body, you you can't change that. 
No, no. Some, right? some, par- some genetic uh, pieces are within our purview to change, but some of them are just good and set. <laughs> yeah, some exactly. of them are just good. And what relief in that? And how I could look at uh, my fifty-year-old brain could look at these beautiful women. They're still gorgeous, right? And say, fascinating. I have such a different ideal now with my older brain than I did Mm -hmm. when I was in my 20s. So, Mm -hmm. but you know, so much of the diet industry and the fashion industry sort of preyed upon that. But I remember hearing somebody say at one point, the fashion models are meant to be moving clothes hangers. Mm -hmm. And that changed my ideal of things. Anyways, let's get back to, um, I do recommend that very much to watch it because it's fascinating to watch it from our now brains. But so this intuitive eating thing, it's sort of yeah. a sidestep to this whole diet mindset that so we it became don't. like, like for me, it became the solution to all the disordered eating that I personally experienced. And I see so often in my clients, right? Like this just um, obsession with food, this feeling like anybody who feels like they're addicted to sugar or feels like who who really seem to struggle with emotional eating, or you struggle with these sort of like binge restrict cycles, like you're, you're on your diet. And for the, you know, first couple of weeks, months, depending, depending on, you know, what's going on, you're able to stick to these really rigid regimes. Um, But then after a while, you know, the cravings hit or, you know, life happens and you get busy and all of a sudden this doesn't feel sustainable. And so that then you just like break all the rules. And once you've broken one rule, it's like a cascade. It's like, you know, a big, a big wave crashes in and, and then you're just like, screw it. And, you know, everything goes out the window. And then you start that sort of, and then you recognize that this doesn't feel good. And I don't like the way I look and I don't like the way I feel. And you start the cycle all over again. Right. But yes, it's just and of like, course, the dialogue inside our heads when that happens, yes. we would never speak to another human being that way. And when you become aware of it, it's it's just a really important thing to become aware of our inner self-talk when we feel like we failed some sort of arbitrary rule we've set in there just yes. kind of puts us on a on a on a cycle of of um, self self deprecation. Yes. Yeah, criticism. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the more times you've gone through that cycle, which like if you start this stuff in your 20s, which isn't unreasonable for many of us or younger, mm-hmm. um, every time you go through that cycle, you just start to reinforce those beliefs that I'm a failure or I need to change or that. I, yeah. All this self-deprecating wow. talk. Um, and, you know, so I saw this pendulum in myself. I saw it in clients I was working with. Um And then I stumbled upon intuitive eating, well, like sort of came into this anti-diet movement. And what's interesting is I had actually come upon it probably five years earlier when I was sort of more in the thick of my health coach training. Um, And at the time I dismissed it. At the time I was still firmly entrenched in the other wellness beliefs. And And I just sort of dismissed this intuitive eating thing. But I think I just kind of came to a place where I was fed up enough, you know, recognizing that what I was doing wasn't sustainable, um, that it wasn't healthy. It was like, it ultimately came down to my mental health. Like I recognized that this just wasn't good for me anymore. And when I came back to intuitive eating, I, I really started to understand like the fundamental principles of it, of how having 
restrictions in place and how placing value on, you know, moral value on good food and bad food, how it's really that that sets up all this disordered behavior. And once we can let go of those things, um, that's when we can come to a place of eating in a way that makes us feel good because of wanting to feel good, not needing to look a certain way. Mm, I like that. So when you're talking about um, the rules here uh, that you're discarding, you're not including things like food allergies or intolerances or celiac disease, things like that, correct? Kind of make that differentiation for us. Yeah. So, and so there, there can be a lot of confusion around intuitive eating and, and particularly when, when you start seeing the anti-diet movement and a lot of like, if you go on Instagram, what you might see is like intuitive eating is just donuts and cookies and pizza and, you know, eating all the things, but it, and it isn't like, there is definitely an aspect like the, there's 10 principles for intuitive eating. And intuitive eating was designed by two dietitians who care deeply about you know, wanting to nourish our bodies in healthy ways. But they recognized that the diet mentality gets in the way of wanting to nourish ourselves. And so at its heart, at its core, that we still want to be abiding by sort of good nutritional principles. We want to be eating in a way that gives us the nutrients we require, gives us the energy that we need, ultimately meets our energy requirements, um, makes us feel good. And if we're really tuning in to what foods make us feel good and what foods don't make us feel good, then we're going to be eating in a healthy way. So when you can tune into, I mean, clearly anything that you're outrightly allergic to, you probably don't want to eat anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to sensitivities, that's where intuitive eating can be really interesting because a lot of people have sensitivities um, to dairy as opposed to an outright allergy to dairy as an example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we're eating more intuitively, we might be able to notice sort of how dairy does affect us, that it maybe does disrupt digestion a little bit, that it does cause a little more mucus. And we notice that we are a little stuffier or we've got this phlegm in our throat when we're eating dairy. Mm-hmm. And then we can sort of evaluate, it doesn't mean that dairy is bad, or it doesn't mean that we have to eliminate that from our diet if we choose not to. We can sort of check in and say, like, how does it make me feel and how do I want to feel when I, you know, and so it's becoming a choice that you get to make based on how you want to feel and not a have to or like I should or shouldn't have dairy. That's genius. It really, really is. It's really what you're saying is it's, it's it's a body awareness piece. Absolutely. So there's actually a lot of um, scientific research that's been done on intuitive eating because of the fact that we do um, tune into our body. So there's like this awareness of what's going on internally, and it does make it a little bit easier to study scientifically because we can check in on, you know, how is the body responding physiologically? What are we noticing? Hmm. So I'm realizing in this moment that when I step into my kitchen to nourish myself, I show up with a bunch of rules. Yeah. How many of us do that? Yeah. And precisely like if you've lived in our culture, which we we all have, (laughs) you absolutely have those rules, right? 
And it's, it's a question of starting to recognize those rules and start to be able to acknowledge them as rules and decide then for yourself, you know, so like what rules would you say that, you know, are, are most um, common for you? Yeah. So uh, I always show up with the rule of no gluten because I have an allergy to it. It's I've seen it in my genetics. So I know I can't have that. So that one's a hard, that's a hard rule for me, but then it becomes interesting. This is going to be, this is going to be fun, Sherry. (laughs) Uh, It becomes about nourishment, what's available in my fridge and in my cupboard versus am I just there eating for comfort? Mm -hmm. Wow. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So that's absolutely um, something that comes up. And so from a, from an intuitive eating perspective, sort of the foundation that we would start with is that there is nothing wrong with eating for comfort because we all do it. We don't just as humans eat for calories or fuel or, or, you know, energy, right? We eat as part of culture. We eat as part of pleasure. We eat as part of connection, um, of building community. Like, and these things are necessary, and part of that is evolution or our our biological need for food. If there wasn't a reward value for food, then we might not eat. And clearly we need to eat to survive. So it's it's natural that we have these other reasons for eating. It connects us too to our past and our ancestry and our ethnicity. And all those things are really important. And we want to keep those things in mind. So these, these you know, like, mottos out there of like only eating for fuel right is a bunch it's a bunch of crap like it's totally unrealistic that you would only ever eat to fuel your body right Mm -hmm. but when we step into the kitchen you know and and check in you know like what am I hungry for and maybe we truly are hungry and we, we do need some energy or maybe we recognize that you know yeah maybe I'm not that hungry then it's an opportunity to sort of say, okay, so what, why am I in the kitchen? What's missing in my life right now? Or in, and I don't, I mean, it could be bigger, but it even could just be more in the moment. Like I need to step away from my desk because I've, you know, I've been working nonstop and I need a bit of a breather and it's easy to go to the kitchen, but maybe it would be more helpful or supportive to me to step outside and take a breath of fresh air. Or maybe I've been doing something that's really mentally taxing and I need to do something that more gives my brain the opportunity to relax. Mm-hmm. So intuitive eating gives us the opportunity or just being more mindful and overall gives us the opportunity to like, what do I really need in this moment? So it's a step into our psychology and it's a permission to understand that Fuel is not just about calories in. Mm -hmm. It's about, do I need to call a friend? Do I need a hug? Do I need to stretch? Do I need to go out to the sunshine? You're right. Fascinating. That's so interesting to me. You know, recently I watched um, uh, Oprah. She interviewed a number of uh, obesity experts and they were talking about Ozempic and some of these other um, GLP-1 agonist antagonist i can never remember which one it is Uh, these medications for for diabetes actually but it turns out they have the side effect of weight loss and um one of the things that oprah talked about which just i thought was fascinating was she said that the number of searches every 
month in social media around the term food noise was something like she said, it's, I'm going to get it wrong, but, and somebody who's listening to the podcast, who's maybe heard this uh, Oprah daily class can correct it for me, but it's something like 30 million uh, people every month search TikTok for food noise. And when they talked about it, ultimately, and I certainly have this, so I know this experience well, but it's that sort of you're planning your next meal. Now I I can see for me, it came in, I'm eating my breakfast and I'm thinking about what I'm having for lunch. Right now I can see that it came in for me when I had, when I figured out I had the, the celiac genes and I was not very healthy. This is about 10 years ago now. And I had to figure out to plan my meals. Otherwise, if I found myself hungry and not prepared, I was going to eat something that I wasn't, mm. that I shouldn't have. Right. And again, those, that rule is a hard rule for me just because of what I know about, you know, human physiology, et cetera. But I think ultimately this food noise thing starts with these rules that you're talking about, what we show up in the kitchen with. So what do you think? Yeah, I haven't heard that term food noise, but I'm going to definitely go check it out. Um, although I can absolutely relate to it because for for me, it's it's like constantly thinking about food, right? Like and for so much when you're stuck in that in that diet cycle, for whatever reason, you're in that diet cycle, right? Whether it's weight loss or health, because I see it a lot for even just health conditions too. Um, we do sort of, you know, become preoccupied with with judgments around what I should and shouldn't have. And often it's the what I shouldn't have that causes a lot of cravings and a lot of noise, right? Because, because we are humans. And I like to say, like, we always want what we can't have. There, there is no more surefire way to crave something than to tell yourself you can't have it. Huh. Fascinating. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I thought like this, yeah, I this, can't this. have Jason Momoa. Can I? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh sh- this is not a, this is not a private conversation. Well, yeah, I, and again, I have found that that, that to be true, the more that we tell ourselves we can't or shouldn't have something, the more we want it. And so there's this, this notion from psychology, um, which ties into intuitive eating a lot about this, the concept of habituation, because one of the, the common, um, things that comes up when we talk about intuitive eating and people think about becoming intuitive eaters, you know, particularly if if they've, you know, been living with a lot of food rules and restrictions for a long time. They're like, well, if I let myself eat anything I want, all I'm going to want is the stuff I shouldn't have, right? Like all I'm going to want is the donuts or the cookies or the bread or the whatever it is that you've been limiting or restricting or happens to be your favorite foods. Right. But because of this notion of habituation from psychology, that turns out not to be true at all. And so habituation is really um, the fact that the more we get used to something, the less power it has over us. And a really simple way to think of habituation is to think about like when you first fell in love, when you first met your husband or relationship partner, And, you know, in the beginning, you wanted to spend all your time with that person, right? Like that person, like you, you kind of felt obsessed, right? Like you felt really good around them and you want to spend all this time with them. And then, um, you know, fast forward, you you would even put off probably your other friends, work commitments, those types of things to be with this person. 
fast forward a couple years and maybe 20 years, depending, you know, <laughs> depending on how long you've been together, um, that you still love that person, right? And you still have a really solid relationship, but they're no longer the only thing you think about. You know, you now have perspective on your other relationships and your work commitments and all these other things in life. And that sort of habituation at work. And the same happens with food. Once we start to give ourselves unconditional permission to eat those foods that we think we shouldn't have, they become less interesting to us. Interesting. So where does intermittent fasting fit on all of this? Because I talk about it a lot. It's one of my favorite levers to pull for my own health in particular. And I think the power in it, looking at the science and knowing the sort of neurobiology, is that we give our we give our digestive systems a break and we allow the brain to switch to its alternate fuel source if we're doing fasting long enough. Now, listen, there's a lot of rules with fasting. And I have seen that become disordered eating in a lot of cases. And so when I'm counseling on it, in fact, I just did the other day for my course uh, uh, in release, my course students is like, here's the rules, but then here's how you can um, make it your own, which I think is really important. So how do we take then let's say the very powerful research, the very powerful science that says autophagy and potentially ketosis is a really important thing for brain health, which is a huge subject for women at midlife, because this is when those, those sort of later years decline can happen. How do we take those rules and put it into this framework of intuitive eating, please? Yeah, and that's a really tough one. And I think I think where I would start is um, with giving permission, people permission to, to, you don't have to do this. There are lots of things you can do for your health, right? Um, there are probably lots, of, there's lots of research showing lots of different things being beneficial for certain people, but you are your own unique individual. And that doesn't mean that, that it's right for you. And I think that's probably a really important thing to do, like regardless of what the research says, like the research also says, you know, you should be doing a certain amount of exercise or you should be doing these other things. And so being able to decipher what is going to be good for you mentally, physically, emotionally is I think the starting point. So you need to know where am I in my relationship with food and is, is fasting going to be healthy for me? Like I know I did fasting um, when I was coaching people on keto. And I know that I am not currently healed enough. Like I have done a lot of healing on my disordered eating, but if I were to try fasting right now, it would come crashing down on me. Like I am not healed enough to, to go back to fasting. And I know all the science too, and I believe all the science and I trust it and I see it and I, and I do lots of things in my life to be healthier. And that's one that I just have to personally make the decision that it's not right for me. So I think that's the starting point. The second point would be to, you know, so again, if you were going to do this from an intuitive perspective, you have to really be checking in with how am I feeling? Am I feeling good while fasting or am I following a rigid rule? Mm -hmm. um, and what mm -hmm. makes sense to me? Because I, and I also know, you know, from the science of fasting, there's a lot of information around, you know, for women timing fasting more so with their hormone cycles, and that mm -hmm. can be really powerful. And so if you if you're not currently having a lot of hormone cycles anymore, it doesn't matter as much. But if you are, 
fasting at certain times of the month can just like make it even harder, right? Like mm-hmm. fasting when you're in that later phase mm-hmm. of your cycle um, is almost a recipe for disaster because you just need more energy and you're, you're, you Agreed. need more comfort and support. So it's mm-hmm. even attempting to fast at that point in your cycle is going to be really challenging. But, and that's where the more you can connect with what's going on internally, your body and being aware of your mind, being aware of the thoughts. Am I doing this because I think I have to, or am I doing, am I doing this to rigidly follow a rule? Am I doing this from a place of perfectionism? Am I doing this from a place of wanting to change the shape of my body? Or am I doing this from a place that's I'm really feeling benefits and it feels good. So you just gave a whole lot of us permission on a way that I don't think we've really had it before. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It's a softness you're inviting. Absolutely. So much. Like, I think so much of this journey is just recognizing and being kind to yourself. Like really um, starting to offer, you know, I like to say starting to offer like that, that mothering or that nurturing thing we're, we're so willing to give to others to start to be willing to give that to ourselves. Oh, wow. Wow. Permission. I love it. Permission, softness, mother yourself the way either you mother your own children or you wish you had been mothered. Absolutely. Wow. We're learning so much about this, uh, this whole mothering thing, aren't we? Um, okay. I, it's like everything else. There's these shades of gray, you know, for me, I tend to be a fairly black and white thinker, but then I listen to you. Me too. Yes. And I, well, of course it, right. Literally it's binary system. Right. So I, I listen to you and I go, Oh, right. Why haven't I looked at it that way and seen that softness and seen that it's not just it's on or it's off, but then there's this whole spectrum in between. Right. So thank you. I, I so deeply personally and professionally, thank you for sharing those lessons because so powerful. Yeah. But it's, and it's so hard. Like it, you know, I, for those of us that, you know, maybe it's our generation too, but you grow up and, and you so much is black and white is comfortable in many ways. Right. And even as, as humans, it's our, it's our nature to want to categorize things, to want to create systems. Right. And, and then if you get personality types like mine, like that are more analytical and that, you know, who, who thrive under structure, we can fall into these traps much more easily. Um, oh my of, goodness. Yes. You get the rules and, and I like to follow because I'm also, I, I'm a rule follower, right? I like to follow rules. <laughs> it, feel, mm-hmm. it feels good. And you get rewarded societally from following rules, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's having all of a sudden awareness of all these patterns and thinking about, okay, so how do I work with my personality, work with these patterns, but in a way, like you said, giving yourself permission to see and act a little bit differently too. So incredibly powerful. Thank you. So what is one thing that any of us can do today to start to step into this idea, the softness of being more intuitive with what we nourish ourselves with and less rule bound? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the starting point is starting to maybe just like inventory your rules. Like what are your rules and where did those rules come from? And then maybe start to say, 
do I, you know, when you, once you've assessed where they've come from, do they fit me? And maybe they did at one time, but maybe I'm giving myself permission to now be that maybe they don't fit my current lifestyle, but to start to, and it, it can be really powerful just to like, start to list all those rules. You might think you not, you don't have that many. And a lot of people, even like they would say, well, I don't diet, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but all of a sudden you list all the rules of things you won't eat. And as I started my intuitive eating journey, I was like, holy man, I didn't realize how much food I was limiting. Like, you know, I'd gotten out of the habit of eating pasta, for example, because of, you know, paleo and wheat and, and I never had a gluten sensitivity. Mm -hmm. There was no good reason for me to cut it out of my diet other than, you know, carbs and all that good stuff. And, you know, when I put it back in, I'm like, I mean, I still, I mean, I don't mind pasta, pasta I enjoy, but I don't love it. It's not like I needed it, but putting it back in was, it was just nice. It was like, oh, there's more variety of things I can eat. And it's, it does take less time than making like spaghetti squash noodles instead or something, to, you know, or I can eat the same thing as everybody else at the table. Right. Mm. Um, and so just starting to challenge, you know, what are all my food rules is a good place. Ooh, I love the idea of writing them down. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> oh, Thanksgiving weekend as we're recording this in Canada. It's about to be Thanksgiving weekend. So it's like one of those ultimate times where food rules just rear their ugly heads. <laughs> well, and it's the rules and then it's the judgment around the rules. Like that's really yes. the, the harmful part, right? Yes. What you said about pasta, what it made me think of, as I remember hearing again back in the 90s, um, was that just don't look at a potato like a vegetable. Look at it like a, a cube of sugar. You remember that one? Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, of course, there was, man, we had so much disordered eating back then. We just didn't realize it. Well, I, st and I think we have as much or more today. Interesting. Interesting. You know, in the 90s, it was sugar, right? Um, mm -hmm. or sorry, fat in the nineties, yeah. it was fat. And so we fat had all makes these you fat. Yep. crazy, like high sugar, cardboardy products because we took the fat out of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, now we've sort of, the pendulum is swung and fat is in, but you know, carbs are out. And so, yeah, we're eliminating things like potatoes, which still have lots of really great nutrients in them. Mm -hmm. Um, pasta, which still has lot, you know, it's funny because somebody was commenting and I can't remember the entire situation, but comment to me, to me the other day about, you know, protein is the thing now, right? And I, I, protein is good and we definitely need protein. There's no question about it, but we have this overemphasis on protein now, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, she was telling me the story of what she was doing to get more protein in her diet. And I was like, do you realize that like a serving of spaghetti actually has like 10 grams of protein? Like pasta noodles actually have protein. If you look at certain breads, like whole grains have I got bread that's got six grams of protein. Like an egg has six grams of protein. And we're always talking about protein from eggs. But like when you start to like recognize that all foods fit, all foods have all macronutrients, like not all foods have all macronutrients, but you can get your macronutrients from a variety of foods. It can be so helpful. And it's like opening your focus on the whole thing, yes. right? It's like all yes. these rules have created this very narrow aperture that we can look through and it's like- yeah. Is that something edible? Is it not? Is it, you know, all of those things. So interesting. So if people want to know more about your work, Sherry, where can they find you? Uh, probably the best place. Um, well, so you can check my website, which is just uh, sherryprat.ca, being Canadian. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I do do some social media. So uh, on Instagram, it's at Sherry Pratt underscore health coach. And then I have a business Facebook page, which is Sherry Pratt health coaching. And um, on my, I'll just mention on my website, if you're sort of in that space of trying to figure out like where I am, where you are, you're struggling with emotional eating, because that's often where a lot of people come, like that's where you sort of get to that point where this isn't working anymore. I don't have a healthy relationship with food. I do have a free um, resource for my, for anybody to download on emotional eating. So it's just kind of a four-step process that helps walk you through, helps you identify sort of where you're stuck in that emotional eating cycle. Oh, I love it. I'll be going to download it ASAP. <laughs> awesome. we'll, in- we'll include those in the uh, in the show notes as well for people to check uh, you out, Sherry. So the last Absolutely. question I like to ask you today uh, is this, using what you know now, if you could go back and talk to your younger self, what would you say? What would you tell her? Uh so much, but I think you actually clued into it earlier. And that is to like, to give yourself permission, to give yourself grace, to give yourself compassion, to really be so much kinder to yourself, um, to not hold yourself to these super high ideals. That's good advice. Whether you're 25 or 55, that's good advice. (laughs) It's so hard to implement, but it's so true, right? I think it's the work of a lifetime. It is absolutely the work of a lifetime. And and I think, um, well, when we're younger, we have the push pull of the hormones that are putting us into the, we've got to, you know, behave in a certain fashion for reproduction. And when that goes away with menopause, we get to make a different choice. So thank you for helping to empower uh, my listeners uh, a different way of looking at the way we nourish ourselves. Thank you. Thank you. The views and nutritional advice expressed by Dr. Fiona Lovely are not intended to be a substitute for conventional medical service. If you have or suspect that you have a medical problem, promptly contact your healthcare provider. No information offered here should be interpreted as a diagnosis of any disease, nor an attempt to treat or prevent or cure any disease or condition. As with any new advice or program, you should always contact your healthcare provider prior to starting anything new. Thank you.